Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. In previous programs, I've commented time and again about shark attacks. Yes, they're infrequent. (laughs) However, a couple things in particular leaped out at me. One is this incredible foolishness, ignorant, stupid foolishness of people flocking to Cape Cod to see great white sharks, to see them up close and personal, to see them just off the coast, just off the coastline, just outside of the beaches, 20, 30 yards out. How exciting. There was another little matter, and that is when I lived in Southern California for a few years. Yes, I'm originally from California, but here in recent years, I lived in Southern California for a few years, and I saw time and again these champions of sharks insisting on preservation of sharks, including great white sharks, even though people were being attacked, maimed, mutilated, slaughtered. That was okay because they were in the sharks area, province. They didn't have any business being there. They were foreign to that area where that area, the oceans, belonged to the sharks. And so California, which is so progressive, so enlightened, so modernistic in its thinking, leading the way in so many, many issues and what have you, cause celebs, it has laws against killing sharks. Oh, my, we mustn't kill sharks. They can slaughter people, including little children. That's all right. We do not harm sharks. Remarkably similar thinking with our justice system. Tens of thousands of people are murdered viciously, ruthlessly, sadistically, torturously every year. How many destroyers, how many murderers, slaughterers, torturers, kidnap, rapists, murderers are executed every year? How many total executions are performed each year? Less than 100. Less than 100. Oh, but that's going to have great deterrent value, isn't it? You know, I mean, it's odds like winning the lottery. Well, maybe not quite as astronomic as that. Not as astronomic as winning the lottery or having Publishers Clearinghouse come to your door. But nonetheless, it's such a tiny fraction that it has no deterrent value. And furthermore, when murderers are executed, it's invariably 20, 25 years after they're convicted. Not after they've committed these acts, but after they've been convicted. And then, of course, cannot be public hanging or private hanging cannot be public firing squad or private firing squad cannot be means that would be cost effective and means that while they don't fit the crime because they are entirely too swift to comparatively painless and merciful for these destroyers, nonetheless, they are ever so much more appropriate than death by lethal injection. And yet we have all of these wonderful champions of the worst scum that there are, of the most monstrous, heinous criminals, champions of them insisting their lives are so valuable and sacred and they must not be harmed They must be preserved. And, of course, 
at enormous cost to the taxpayers. While, as I have mentioned time and again, and I will keep mentioning, people, chiefly young people, chiefly young women, have been put to death by starvation and dehydration under court orders that is ordered by judges, by vile, evil, monstrous excuses of judges, starved and dehydrated to death over periods of days with troopers at the doors of wherever they are, nursing home facilities or whatever, to prevent anybody from breaking through and trying to administer water, hydration, nourishment of any kind to them. Yes, but meanwhile, the most monstrous of murderers, oh, they must die a pain-free death, and if they have to die at all. But these dear ones that have committed no crime, and in many cases have simply failed to recover from having been murderously attacked, (laughs) having survived kidnap, rape, attempted murder, and now they are murdered under state orders because they have not sufficiently recovered. It is the most extreme, unbelievable, gross, profane miscarriage of justice there could ever be, and it has happened more than a few times in this nation in recent decades and recent years. But I digress. So back to the Sharks. I mentioned about near misses with great white sharks up there in Cape Cod time and again. And then this matter of the local business owners being thrilled about this and playing it up to the kazoo. And local theaters there playing Jaws all summer long, all the Jaws series. And these idiot Tourists flocking up there to see the great white sharks in action. Well, one young man, handsome, healthy, carefree young man, 26 years of age. I'm sure you've undoubtedly seen or heard about it. Arthur Medici. He was on a boogie board about uh, how far off the beach was he? 30 feet or so? Or 30 yards, 30 yards. I'm really surprised at that. Obviously, I don't know what a boogie board is. I thought they were only used right off the beach. (laughs) But here, 30 yards into the water. And this was at Newcomb Hollow Beach in Wellfleet when he was attacked by a great white shark that was 10 to 12 feet. So a baby, (laughs) practically, you know, a little one uh, that it said, bit him on both legs. Well, that's a little bit more like severed both legs, amputated both legs. Anyway, amazing bravery by one young man who, upon hearing him screaming, first screamed out for everyone to call 911. He rushed into the water when he saw the shark tail. How many of us would do that? You see a shark tail in the water. You see a shark fin and shark tail in the water. Your first response, of course, is to scream for people to get help for this fellow who's been attacked. You've got blood in the water and the shark in the water. And then you go diving into the water and swimming out to try to rescue this fellow. Unbelievable bravery by this young man, Isaac Roca. And he swam as fast as he could, and he dragged, uh, dragged, pardon me, he dragged Arthur back to the shore, and then he strapped a boogie board strap around one of his thighs to try to stop the bleeding. Well, Arthur was transported immediately to hospital, and he died. Prior to that, that was in mid-September, prior to that in August, a 61-year-old man was bitten. By a shark. And this man, he said the following, quote, After two attacks, I think we can be concerned that it's a dangerous situation. End quote. Really? You think? 
Well, now that's, again, that's back in September, mid-September. Now we're into October. It's two weeks later. So, obviously, no danger now, right? Wrong. But I mention this because (laughs) people will keep being foolish and idiotic uh, until they are scared out of their wits into not doing so. And unfortunately, this young man is now a cautionary tale for some. And there was another attack just the other day, and this was on the other side of the country in Southern California in the beach city of Encinitas. And this is the first shark attack there in 30 years. Now, this young man was half the age of the young man that was killed off of Cape Cod. That young man was 26. This one is a boy, just 13 years of age. And when he was attacked, fortunately, there was a kayaker nearby, and he heard the boy screaming, the boy Keen Hayes. He heard him screaming, And it doesn't say whether he paddled towards him or not, but the boy that was attacked, horrendously attacked by the shark, managed to get himself up onto this fellow's kayak. That is not an easy thing for a healthy, well person to do. But this boy, 13 years old, whose back had been opened up, by this shark that is believed to be a great white shark. It's 10 feet long. He managed to pull himself up onto this fellow's kayak, and he got him to shore, and he was taken to hospital, and he is expected to make a full recovery. Incredible. Amazing that he could, because suffered terrible wounds. And... uh, i uh, just leave you with this quote, uh, or a couple quotes. Uh, one is that uh, the United States has had more unprovoked shark attacks than any nation in the world. Unprovoked. So how many shark attacks are provoked? Huh? How many of these murderous destroyers, serial murderers, these various different monsters out there, how many of them are provoked? into attacking helpless people. Well, they're all unprovoked. And so, too, with shark attacks. I've never heard of a provoked shark attack. But anyway, we lead the world uh, in unprovoked shark attacks. So maybe there is some nation out there where they have a lot of provoked shark attacks. I don't know. I thought Australia was supposed to be number one in shark attacks, but here it says that U.S. is. And this quote... Oh, before I go there, let me just say, and the state with the most shark attacks, drum roll, please, 31 last year in Florida alone. Well, shocker there. It has enormous coastline, east and west coast, Atlantic Ocean, Gulf of Mexico, very warm waters. Just, (laughs) uh, if if it's not a shark, then, of course, you've got the gator. If it's not the gators, it's the pythons. If it's not the pythons, then it's violent crime. If it's not violent crime, it is sinkholes. If it's not sinkholes, it's hurricanes. If it's not hurricanes, it's tornadoes. And then, of course, there's always Cuba with uh, nuclear missiles. But Florida's a grand spot. But let me leave you with this quote regarding sharks. Dr. Lowe said, quote, We may start encountering sharks in places where we haven't encountered them before. And as shark populations are recovering, people might start encountering them more, end quote. How do you like them apples? So shark populations are going up. They are increasing in numbers thanks to the wonderful efforts 
of these champions of sharks who are so concerned about these creatures, so concerned that they might be being diminished and becoming endangered. Guess what? (laughs) It's tuna that are fished to the point of extinction. It's seals. It's sea lions. And the list goes on. But lo and behold, harbor seals and what have you. But sharks are predators that roam the world. Shallow waters, deep waters, warm waters, cold waters. They are eating, devouring machines. There has never been a creature more outstandingly fashioned for the purpose of preying upon all other sea creatures than the shark family, if you want to call them that. But isn't that fascinating? We're starting to encounter them in places where we haven't before now. We haven't seen them, encountered them, been confronted by them previously. And the worst is yet to come. But, moving on from that, you know, we keep hearing about, perhaps I'm the only one that does, but keep hearing about that English is a language that is, you know, kind of passing into uh, disuse. (laughs) It's on the way out. Mandarin is on the way in. Mandarin, Manchurian, myriad other languages, but chiefly from China and the Orient, from Asia. But English, who needs English? I mean, my gosh, Spanish may be the next, <laughs> the next official United States language, not, not, not a secondary language, the numero uno language, perhaps. You know, oh, yes, it will take a while. Give it 50 years, which this nation doesn't have and this world doesn't have. But give it 50 years. Give it 100 years. You know, for those deep thinkers who think things will go on indefinitely, even as corrupt and vile and perverse and anti-God as they are. But so 100 years from now, imagine Spanish being the official language of the United States of America or Mandarin or what have you. But no, interestingly enough, curiously enough. Well, and before I get to this quote, let me just mention this. Of course, in California, for voting purposes, the ballots, uh, they have them in, I can't remember how many languages now, 32 languages, 36 languages, and almost all of them are from Asia, of course, from, from the easternmost part of Asia. And it's just astounding, astonishing how many languages, of course, the various major Chinese languages, but then Korean and Filipino, which is uh, a Tagalog, or I should know it, Tagalog. And then we have Vietnamese and Thai, and the list just goes on and on and on, Laotian, whatever. <laughs> but amazingly enough, and so again, California leading the way in all things wonderful, all the ways to absolutely degrade this nation. Is it wrong for these people who come to the United States of America to retain their native language? Of course not. Is it wrong for them to teach their children, to pass on to their children and their grandchildren their native tongue? Of course not. But the idea that the nation of the United States of America that they come to then has to condescend to them, bow down to them, and translate everything into their language, (laughs) you know, it's amazing. I mean, it used to be required that to vote, You know, you had to have something in the way of citizenship. And in order to pass citizenship test, you had to speak English. No more. Now we will provide the ballots in all of these myriad other languages. It's fascinating. But anyway, 
This fellow, David Crystal, he is a British linguist and academician, or academic, if you prefer. And he has calculated the following. He says there are three times more people learning English than there are native speakers of the language. Let that sink in, okay? There are three. Three times more, 300% more, threefold more people learning English than there are people who are native speakers of the tongue who grew up with it. Fascinating. How can that possibly be when we have so many wise and wonderful Americans insisting that their little tykes learn Mandarin, right? It is the in vogue thing, you know, of the yuppie puppies. Uh, It absolutely is. And so here, why is this? Why should it be? Well, supposedly, learning English opens new doors, new doors for billions of people around the world. It is an official language of more than 50 countries, more than 50, count them, and is the de facto language of science, medicine, and aviation. (laughs) I just think that is so fantastically amazing. It's hard for me to believe. I seriously have trouble believing that. Because I know that that cannot be so, because after all, we're all supposed to learn Mandarin, or at least Spanish. And I wish I did know Spanish. I wish I was fluent in Spanish. I wish I could speak any Espanol. But I just... uh, But English is being pursued, is being acquired, is being learned by three times more people than those who grew up with it. And the funny thing is, that means that a lot of these people will speak much better English than many college graduate National Football League players. Many. And, in fact, will speak better English than any number of... uh, National Football League broadcasters. <laughs> it's, it's the end, uh, perchance, than our president. But speaking of our president, uh, he says the following, I don't talk that way. I don't talk that way. What was that with reference to? Well, you know, it's just a matter of these things that he comes out with. <laughs> some Some remarkable statements that surely he couldn't make as far as ones concerning, for instance, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, uh, referring to him as a dumb Southerner. No, 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 I never said that. I don't speak like that. I don't say things like that. No, he tweets things like that. (laughs) But anyway, uh, just fascinating, really. I I don't know who should we believe. Who should we believe? Well, on that note, Ben Carson was one of the competitors for the Republican presidential nomination. And Ben Carson has, you know, a fantastic bio, a fantastic personal story, just a a magnificent surgeon and um, seems like just a great guy. But he's being assailed there at HUD, you know, Uncle Tom and all of this. And he, of course, signed on with, joined ranks with Donald Trump uh, after Donald Trump became the nominee. In fact, I think he actually, he may have joined him before that was official. But he is our secretary of HUD, Housing and Urban Development, And I was more than a little bit disappointed about this when I I saw this story about various individuals that have been hired by HUD under Ben Carson and have been 
very quickly promoted and given huge pay increases and so forth. And among them, five individuals who worked briefly on Donald Trump's campaign or Ben Carson's presidential campaign and have zero, zero housing experience. And three of the five do not even have bachelor's degrees, do not have college degrees, do not have undergraduate degrees of any kind. You know, not phys ed, right? Not black studies or African-American studies or women's studies, feminist studies, diversity, anything, you know, nothing. Uh, (laughs) And yet, uh, what are they making? Well, between... Uh, just under a hundred thousand, ninety-eight thousand, up to one hundred and fifty-five thousand per year. But that is fascinating, boy. They really went after the best people, didn't they? I mean, you know, in terms of, hey, these may be very talented, very gifted people. It's possible. I don't believe it for a minute, but it's possible. And brilliant people. It's not uncommon that they don't get college degrees. You know, the Bill Gates story and so forth. Steve Jobs, whoever. And Zuckerberg. I don't know if Zuck uh, managed to take the time to finish his undergraduate there at Harvard or whatever. I doubt it. I doubt it because he had Facebook going and uh, depending on whom you believe with regard to who was really uh, (laughs) behind Facebook. But many times... Really gifted, talented, brilliant, whatever people, musical virtuosos and what have you, do not have much in the way of higher education. It's not at all uncommon for those really supremely gifted. But so it's possible. I just don't believe it. That's all. Uh, I think this is just a case of people receiving appointments, receiving positions Without meeting the bare minimum criteria that's required, that if you or I were to apply for these positions, that they would instantly rule me out. They'd say, no, you can't have that. So what if you've got that degree in that? And so what if you've got that postgraduate education? So what if you have all of this lifetime experience? So what? You're not for us. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And instead... These fellows are shown through the door. It's like the situation with these special, privileged societies like Skull and Bones and so forth that, of course, our presidency has been rife with uh, representatives of. But anyway, disappointed me about Ben. And then on a similar vein... Out in Oregon, the great state of Oregon, this woman, Amanda LaBelle, she was running for office, for higher office, and uh, was expected, hoped, but expected to win because the state is so left-wing. Yes, it's hard to imagine this state that used to be, you know, all forests, all loggers and fishermen and this sort of thing. But it has has received massive influx of population from California, people fleeing California who've gone to Oregon. And it's right on the tech corridor on up to Seattle, Washington. And anyway, it is a favorite place of very leftist-leaning and leftist activist people. And so it was expected that she would get this position. Now, this higher office she was running for, I believe it was just, yes, state representative. Okay, state representative, oh, well, you know, so what? State representative. Well, this woman, if she won her political race, It would have succeeded in giving the Democrats in Oregon a supermajority that would permit them to pass tax bills without any Republican votes. 
a sweet position to be in. They needed one more seat. (laughs) But whoops, it turned out that Miss LaBelle, not to be confused with Patti LaBelle, the the singer, uh, (laughs) no, Amanda LaBelle here, of a different skin color, and probably without the pipes. Uh, she, she claimed to have earned a bachelor's degree from Valdosta State University in Georgia. Uh, and that was listed in the official voters' pamphlet. Well, turns out that that was falsified. That was falsely claimed. That was a sham. And it got found out. And she had to withdraw And it's just too bad, isn't it? I mean, it's just too bad. Really too bad. But speaking of, and she was the candidate for, get this, it was for the American Working Families Party. Yes, leftist socialist group. But that's, she was their candidate until she wasn't. Perhaps you saw this. I just thought this was remarkable. This very, um, I'm not sure, sincere-looking fellow, (laughs) a Massachusetts teacher from the great state of Massachusetts. Uh, He uh, pulled a stunt there. He took his toddler, his little girl, to a mall, and he managed to get her into, inside of, a machine, a game machine, the Keymaster game machine, and had her hand prizes out to him. <laughs> and it was all caught on video, and the little girl climbed out of the machine. Anyway, Anthony Halinsky, 34, was arrested. <laughs> uh, it's just, anyway, he's a public school teacher. Outstanding. And undoubtedly, he's being persecuted. I, I think uh, even though he looks to be white or Caucasian, I think he probably identifies with some other group and is being persecuted uh, because of that and, uh, you know, shouldn't have been arrested and so forth. But anyway, your children are in good hands with uh, public school teachers like this fine fellow. And Did it state what grade level he teaches? Hmm. I didn't see that. But anyway, uh, he is currently suspended. No, suspended being paid and while it's being investigated. Before I go on, let me just say, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. And whatever's good, right, true within this program is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus. And whatever's wrong, lacking, erring is due to me. Perhaps you saw this instance, this terrible, tragic incident. This woman, there were two individuals that were being transported by sheriff's deputies in South Carolina. Now, in the Florence, South Carolina area, well, rather not Florence, South Carolina, South Carolina, but during the the Hurricane Florence floodwaters, uh, following uh, the brunt of the hurricane, there were all manner of floods, and these deputies they chose to transport these people unnecessarily and they found themselves in a dilemma a predicament they couldn't go any further and they ended up getting out of their vehicle and they supposedly tried to rescue these two people these two women and the women didn't want to get out of the van with the, with the floodwaters there. And what did these brave deputies do? They left them, and they let them drown. Just, you know, really, you're, you're in good hands uh, with, with deputies, with police, and so on and so forth. Your lives should be left to the mercy of such as that. You should not be able to defend yourselves or protect yourselves 
all self-defense, self-protection should be delegated to the professionals whom we can trust to come through in all such situations. Unlike that young man who dove into the ocean to go rescue this other man who had been attacked by a great white shark, (laughs) risked his life doing that. And meanwhile, these sheriff's deputies, uh, they couldn't (laughs) couldn't be bothered to do more than they did, which was nothing. But the story is really tragic. And what happened was the the front end of the story is that this one woman, Nicolette Green, 43 years of age, went to her doctor for a checkup. And her doctor insisted that she immediately be committed against her will. And so he authorized that, and he had the sheriff's deputies come pick her up to transport her. And her daughter, Rose Hirschberger, couldn't believe it. She saw it on the news, was expecting her mother to be back any time, and instead her mother died thanks to the, and I'm mispronouncing this undoubtedly, Horry County Sheriff's Office. Uh, really monstrous. But these tragedies that happen, these senseless things, you know, there are all manner of tragedies that are a result of vicious, ruthless, monstrous, murderous destroyers attacking people, attacking innocent people, helpless people. And then there are tragedies, people dying because of acts of God. You know, uh, uh, terrible natural disasters. And then myriad civilians and soldiers killed in wartime and so forth. And all the people slaughtered by terrorist acts. But how many die as a result of just gross Gross uh, malfeasance like this is extraordinary. There was a story also a bit ago about an attack that was made, a knife attack that was made in New York City, in Queens, and they mentioned that... I thought it was, uh, see, a couple adults and three infants that were stabbed. And then the woman that was believed to have been the attacker, that she cut her own wrist. She tried to kill herself. But the backstory, or what showed up later on, was this. And I thought this was just a wee bit interesting is that neighbors had seen instance after instance after instance of people arriving under very, very suspicious circumstances at this place. And none of them bothered to contact authorities, seemingly. This one fellow said he had seen pregnant women showing up at the home. And he's a young man. Then someone in their 70s said that he had often seen the owner of the home arrive in his car with groups of pregnant women, with groups, often with groups of pregnant women transporting them to this house. And then this woman said that she saw minivans drop off women with suitcases, plural women with suitcases. They would arrive as much as twice a week. But there was never an investigation until this violent attack took place. Well, what was going on there? My gosh, what could possibly have been going on? 
maternity tourism, birth tourism, because of our insane, insane immigration laws (laughs) that encourage, that reward people to come to the United States of America from communist China, very largely from communist China, and from other nations, and give birth here, and then the children are automatically citizens. Brilliant. And this operation was going on for who knows how long. It's very common in Southern California, in Northern California, in many places. But this was in New York City. (laughs) And they were having minivan loads of women arriving twice a week. Women great with child. So that their children could be U.S. citizens. Fantastic. Marvelous. Well, I mentioned in a previous program, I've mentioned it twice now, but with slightly different uh, information, and that was I expanded on it the second time, but that horror is the most profitable genre for movie producers. Horror is. When I say horror, I'm not talking about some suspense thriller or something like that. Not to be confused with that, even though sometimes those will cross over into horror. For instance, a couple nights ago, a few nights ago, I saw a remake of an Agatha Christie movie. And the original, I believe the title was Ten Little Indians or Twelve Little Indians, probably ten. Well, this one was called uh, And Then There Were No More or something like that. And it was a BBC production and a monstrous one, if, if I may say so. Absolutely monstrous. I wasn't particularly fond of the original, even though it was supposed to be the greatest of Agatha Christie's uh, many. Uh, but and the, the fellow who played the judge was Barry, uh, it's not Fitzgerald, I don't think. Maybe Fitzgerald, maybe Fitzsimmons. That's not Fitzsimmons. Anyway, a very good actor. And it had a wonderful twist at the end, which saved it from being horribly morbid and morose and terrible. And also it was brief. It was only an hour and a quarter, hour and 20 minutes or so, and it was black and white. Oh, but they greatly improved upon it. They made it a three-part miniseries in color and dark and gritty and bloody and gory and monstrous and horrible. And they removed, they completely redid, revised the ending of the movie. So there was zero silver lining. There was zero of what people falsely refer to as redeeming value. There was zero entertainment value. But interestingly enough, one critic raved about it there for The Guardian, stating that it was was the TV event of the year and so on and so forth. It was horrible. They turned it into a horror movie. It had been an exceedingly... uh, (laughs) mm, I'd say bloody, but... uh, suspense thriller and the reason it was far from anything remotely approaching a favorite of mine is that it was there were so many deaths and it was just so much of that there are comedies that have been made that have been takeoffs on it that have been made and uh to 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 change uh the idea there such as in the uh tv show the tv series psych but here You had a woman rewrite it and turn it into a horror movie. And you had a production company, producer and director, and big-name British stars create what was a horror movie for TV audiences. Well, horror is the most profitable genre for movie producers and perhaps for TV movie producers and for TV series producers. There's a large audience that flock to theaters to see any new horror movie that comes out. Horror genre creates franchises. And I mentioned that the the Saw series 
and the Purge series that they have made many, many, many hundreds of millions of dollars. So uh, the two of those put together have brought in as much money as Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh have been paid over a period of many years. Uh, So, but something that took place long ago, and this was in Colorado. Uh, Terrible, unspeakable, monstrous mass murder of a family. Now, when you hear mass murder, you probably think, oh, there's some shooting at a school. There's some shooting at a mall, something like that. You probably don't think of something like some mass murder committed with swords or knives over in Japan or other such things. Well, here, this fellow, white fellow, Caucasian, looks weak as far as I'm concerned, little on the order of Ted Bundy as far as looks, does not look big, strong, imposing, impressive in any way. Well, lo and behold, he slaughtered a family. He slaughtered a woman first. That was his dry run. And then he slaughtered a family. So he slaughtered this woman who was home alone in Lakewood, Colorado, 50-year-old Patricia Louise Smith. While she was having lunch, she attacked her with a claw hammer. This was back in January of 84, of 1984. Six days later, in Aurora, Colorado, neighboring Aurora, Colorado, police were called to a home where they found the following. This woman had gone over to her son's house and had found the following and called police. The home of Bruce and Deborah Bennett. Bruce was found at the foot of a staircase. 27 years of age, he died from multiple skull fractures caused by blows from a claw hammer, including 16 to the top of his head. His throat had been slit. His right ear hit so hard it was nearly cut in half. Body soaked, drenched in blood. The fact that he was at the foot of the staircase makes me think that he heard something His wife heard something, and he went downstairs unarmed to investigate. He could have waited. He could have gotten something to arm himself with and waited at the top of the stairs if, in fact, that's what transpired, and I believe that's what transpired, that this fellow broke in and he heard him, and he went down to confront him, and he allowed himself, unfortunately, to be slaughtered, and then this monster went to work on his wife and children. So upstairs, what did they find? In the master bedroom, they found the body of his wife, blood-covered, only in a pair of underwear, Deborah Bennett, 26. She'd been attacked with a claw hammer. Her skull was caved in, two teeth missing from her lower left jaw. They proceeded on to the children's room where they found Melissa Bennett, who had just celebrated her seventh birthday the night before with her family and grandmother, grandmother being the woman that found them. Autopsy found she had been raped and had been struck nine times to the front of her head with a claw hammer. One of the indentations indicated The weapon used was a claw hammer, as the claw marks in her skull were were distinct and intact. And nearby, the detectives found the blood-soaked teddy bear of this little girl and her three-year-old sister next to it. She was alive but in a coma. She had been beaten, attacked with a claw hammer, And she had been raped, three years old. Well, while police were looking for a robber and going through DNA evidence in Nevada, they happened to find DNA that matched the DNA from that crime scene. 
And lo and behold, this fellow, he's been out committing all manner of mayhem for these years, but they found him in jail. (laughs) How many monstrous, vicious crimes this unspeakably evil individual has committed? Christopher Ewing. You know, Ewing like in the TV series Dallas. A Sacramento resident or a former Sacramento resident committed all of these terrible things. Meanwhile, and that's not the most common of weapons to be used, but I mentioned before about a family, three teenage daughters, one I believe as old as 20 or 21, and their father and their contractor who were all slaughtered the same way, each one having been struck more than 50 times at their home in Maryland by a fellow from Central America who had been hired by the contractor and who was able to isolate each one. Each one came home one at a time, and he slaughtered them. But then I came across the story of Tyler Hadley. He slaughtered his parents with a claw hammer when he was 17. He's not 17 now. That was back in 2011. So this now is seven years later. 24-year-old Tyler, dear Tyler, he is asking for his sentence to be reduced to 40 years because surely he's learned his sentence. So he's actually getting a resentencing hearing. This fellow who planned, who plotted, and who attacked his parents, his mother while she was at the computer. He hit her with the hammer, with the claw hammer. Then he went after his father. His father came out, and he attacked him. Then he went back to strike his mother some more. Wonderful fellow. But by all means, his sentence should be released so that, hey, he'll be, you know, 50-something when he's released so that he still has plenty of good years with which to do such things. But then, of course, we have the Papa, the Grand Papa, the Pope, who changed the previous policy with this great pronouncement that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person, right? Not murder committed by these destroyers, but their execution, the execution of these murderers, that is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person, according to the Grand Poobah, the Papa. And he has declared the death penalty inadmissible in all cases and that, that the Catholic Church must work against to stop this evil of execution of destroyers. Unbelievable, but true. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.